Today on the Energy Podcast. It has already changed so much in our everyday lives. From banking on our phones, what we get on our Instagram feeds, to Alexa, play my cool podcast intro music. But artificial intelligence, or AI, is still just at the beginning of its capability. And that's fundamentally different to any form of engineering we've done in the history of humanity. And this means that we're going to see transformation that we can't even predict yet. We're delving into the biggest questions facing the AI industry. Frontline work in particular is a pretty dangerous place. So we, we talked earlier about killer robots. Robots are actually going to save lives in this, this sector. AI needs to explain itself better to users. I think that's where the real onus is on us as software builders to make sure that we're building products that are usable. So who better to get some answers from today's expert guests than Shell's head of data science and all things AI. Hi, my name's Dan Jevons and I'm the general manager for data science here at Shell. And I'm delighted to be hosting this guest edition of the Energy Podcast on the topic of AI or artificial intelligence. And I'm equally delighted to be joined by a wonderful panel of experts on AI. Firstly, I've got Langley Ide, who's the COO at Kespri and a former executive at Alteryx, ServiceNow and Morgan Stanley. Kespri is a startup focused on drone and aerial intelligence powered by AI. I've also got Dr. Aldo Faisal, Director of the Centre for AI for Healthcare at Imperial College. And finally, I've got Tim O'Brien, who's a tech policy and ethics advocate at Microsoft. I'm delighted to have you all with me. What we see happening in the world today is an explosion of data leading to a radical transformation in information technology. Over 90% of the world's data was created in the last two years, and it's expected that data will increase by more than fivefold over the next five years. And this vast volume of data is transforming our lives in ways that were unimaginable even a decade ago. These data volumes make information more accessible, but importantly, make algorithms much smarter. And it's this that's been powering the AI revolution. In many ways, AI is transforming our lives for the better. As it's an emerging technology, being at the forefront, the people working on AI are exploring a range of challenges and opportunities, which have a wide-ranging impact on society, and most importantly, on the energy industry. For Shell, this is obviously a trend that has wide-ranging implications, and so it's something we've been heavily focusing on. So I thought I'd start today's session with a little bit of myth-busting to help us understand what AI is and what it isn't, and how far this transformation is likely to go. And so with that, I'll turn first to our uh, resident academic, Aldo. It's great to have you with us. Can you tell us, for the uninitiated, what is artificial intelligence? Hi, Dan. Great to be here. So artificial intelligence is really um, the ability of an artificial system to solve problems for which humans need intelligence. Tim, obviously there's a lot of concern around AI, and I know you at Microsoft have been looking at this. Will the world get taken over by killer robots? No, uh, it won't. I think robotic process automation has been around for a long time, probably longer than most people realize. And I think a lot of the fears that you're referring to are rooted in popular culture, to be quite honest. Books, film, um, movies like Terminator with Skynet and so forth. So no, 
I don't think we need to worry about that. Good to hear. I, I'm relieved. And Langley, coming to you next, obviously you're with a really cool startup in Silicon Valley. Uh, what's the coolest AI solution that you've seen this year? And you're, you are allowed to use your own. Uh, well, that, that's a good thing. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but I think the work that we at Caspri have been doing with C3 to marry machine vision into their rich AI-based application framework to get better optics on Shell's undersea pipeline is pretty awesome. That's very cool. I think machine vision is an amazing area of application, and I'm sure we'll come back to that. But maybe back to you, Aldo. I mean, obviously, you're researching this. What's next in, in the world of AI? I think the next big challenge is that we've seen that AI has done a lot of things um, very well uh, in beating humans at their ability to perceive the world and see the world and understand the world. And I think the, the next big step will be to um, to pick up skills that we have not yet seen in AI, such as planning, um, strategies, um, exploring new solutions. Obviously, AI has come a long way in the last few years. What forecast has been the most spot on for you? I think the forecast that deep learning was the thing that was finally going to make AI commercially viable. AI as a field of study has been around since, I guess, the Dartmouth workshop in 1956. So 70 plus years and two AI winters in which AI funding and research almost dried up completely. And about 10 years ago, along comes deep learning. And that was the thing that really put us over the top. And so just building on that, although how will AI get to the next level? So you talked about the future uh, Langley's talked about some of the challenges already. How do we see that next level of AI that you're referring to earlier on coming about? It comes in two stages. One is where AI basically needs to better interface with humans. So they understand what the AI is saying, why it's saying they trust it, and they can interact and understand it. And the other pathway is what we call causality in AI, i.e. the ability of an AI system to understand not just patterns in the world, but understand what causes what patterns to arise. And that enables it basically I to, to become more like a researcher or an engineer and discover new things. Thanks, Aldo. And maybe if we can pick up on that, Langley, I mean, we recognize that these things, this explainability of AI and trying to make it accessible to people and understanding some of that causality that Aldo is talking about are really fundamental. But I know also this is really tough to get this embedded into large organizations what what are Kespri doing to try to uh, deploy AI at scale into heavy industry? Well, there's a couple of things here. One, to, to speak directly to Aldo's point that AI needs to explain itself better to users. I think that's where the real onus is on us as software builders to make sure that we're building products that are usable um, and usable beyond just the, you know, a cadre of data scientists or data engineers who might work in IT departments or analytic departments, but uh, directly out to line of business to field operators, uh, to people that are needing to decision and determine next best action off that data. Uh, it should be obvious, intuitive, uh, and as close to real time as possible. And at Kespri, uh, what we're focused on is really um, how you first start with drone-based aerial intelligence and make that drone data immediately actionable uh, for things like inspection, uh, anomaly detection, or even uh, mapping uh, and, and uh, sort of survey-based use cases. And then secondarily, looking beyond 
images coming directly from drones, but images that are now being collected in as almost as much volume as your, you know, fact-based sort of SQL accessible data uh, across the organization and assimilating those into a platform that can be broadly leveraged across the organization by uh, a, a variety of classes of users. And I think that that's a great segue because I think one of the things we see, and, and I guess, you know, you've touched on it there, is that AI is becoming core to the way in which modern software is developed. Tim, I know Microsoft's been investing very heavily in this area. So we've been working on AI, as you, as you mentioned, since the, since the mid-90s, really, in Microsoft research. But now we're bringing uh, a lot of these capabilities into commercial products, including Office, right, which has uh, predictive capabilities even in PowerPoint, Excel, and Word. Uh, there's features in Microsoft Word for uh, users with learning disabilities, uh, like dyslexia, for example. So the accessibility uh, um, possibilities here are fairly unlimited. So it's it's everywhere in our portfolio of products today, both consumer products and commercial products as well. Sometimes it's subtle and not noticeable. Uh, other times or other places in the form of cognitive services like you know, computer vision or um, neural adaptive speech, it's uh, very, very visible. And, and I will say I've noticed the improvement in my word spell checker. So it's obviously making an impact. Good. Uh, that's AI. <laughs> Not sexy, but it gets the job done. Exactly. Absolutely. And so maybe turning a little bit more philosophical, Aldo, as, as you know, putting your academic hat on again, is AI here or is it still coming? I think AI is here and it is coming and it is coming from more directions that we can predict or expect at the moment. And basically, most people don't understand how transformative AI is really. And that's fundamentally different to any form of engineering we've done in the history of humanity where, you know, engineers or craftsmen tinkered and came up with solutions. And this means that we're going to see transformation that we can't even predict yet. So building on that, one of the things we've been thinking about a lot here at Shell is the way in which AI is going to affect the future of work. We run a whole raft of different industrial facilities from manufacturing facilities through to wind farms. And as we think about operating those things in the future, we recognize that the data is going to be crucial to the effectiveness and efficiency of the operation. And so I wanted to ask you, Langley, from your perspective, you're working in this environment and you're thinking through some of these wide-reaching implications. How do you think that AI is going to transform the way in which these facilities operate? So, you know, there's two big themes in the energy sector that are going to drive AI investments over the next decade from our point of view. First, how do we optimize the lifetime value of the existing asset base? How do we safely prolong asset life? And the second is, is that the right decision? For example, at the individual plant level, companies are applying machine vision to drone and rover footage to streamline anomaly detection, such as corrosion or methane leaks. And this gives plant operators a frequent, accurate picture of potential maintenance issues. And the AI is actually sophisticated enough today to automatically trigger next best action. So for example, the automated anomaly detection can kick off a repair work order. Uh, now that's a drone inspection use case that reflects a pretty remarkable degree of automation that exists today for a complex workflow that encompasses data collection, detailed analysis, and resulting action. So the next phase of the journey, right, where we're headed to next, I think, is to leverage data from use cases like the one I just described at a more aggregated level, right, giving folks um, in a more centralized way in headquarters visibility across 
an entire asset portfolio. And at this phase, operators are looking for a richer experience where image, video, thermal data, or so-called perception data can be tied into machine-level data, or so-called IoT data, to create a more holistic view of what's going on within a plant. And now you have a data set that's actually an effective digital twin of your physical infrastructure that really starts to open up the possibilities for AI. So it's less about the algorithms and more about did, were you able to get to the right data set where those algorithms can, can be performed on. Um, the third phase that we see kind of further on the horizon, but where we do see customers starting to dip their toe in are these sort of simulation optimization exercises where a variety of scenarios can be played out against this digital twin environment that we've now gotten a handle on. And this is the level of sophistication not previously attainable at any scale. Um, so if we kind of turn to the jobs side of that question, um, of course, automation is threatening for workers if they're not given the opportunity to evolve their skill sets. And, and I think just building on that, Tim, I mean, obviously, what language has been describing is going to be pretty transformative. You can see how disruptive that's going to be in terms of the way in which we run physical assets uh, in the heavy industrial sector, but also uh, in other parts of the world as well. Um, obviously, there's some fairly significant ethical considerations to that. And I know Microsoft's been thinking about that a lot. So maybe you just want to expand on that a little bit. The tech industry, quite frankly, has done a poor job of paying attention to the potential for harms from some of these these technologies. And uh, I think AI is the thing that, that really turned it uh, to, to pay attention to the, the, the social, cultural context, even the business context in which these technologies exist. And so once you start using technologies like computer vision in a commercial application, which is Langley quite rightly said, it's going to revolutionize things like predictive maintenance for equipment and, uh, and industrial safety by deploying robots and video enabled drones into areas that are just frankly too dangerous for humans. This is, this is good. This is life-saving technology, but there is a lot of uh, concern in the business world today, not just industrial applications, but, but everywhere really on the use of these technologies for uh, surveilling employees, uh, trying to build predictive metrics around what constitutes productivity. And so transparency into how these technologies are used and what they mean for the business and what the impact is uh, for employees themselves is, is incredibly important. Because if you just start deploying computer vision technologies, for example, or data analytics or predictive analytic capabilities uh, in the workplace without full transparency for the employee base into what they're going to be used for, uh, it doesn't take long for conspiracy theories and, and suspicions to arise. And so management would be well served to get in front of that with uh, transparency about here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, and here's what we won't use this for. Thanks, Tim. And, and I think what you've just said, I think, plays nicely into Aldo's field of research. So I know, Aldo, one of the things that you're focused on is trying to figure out how we can bring a, a human element into the AI and, and human in the loop can you talk a little bit about that and how you see that as being important in the context of bringing ethics to the way in which we develop AI? Absolutely. So imagine self-driving cars. These are AI systems that drive for themselves. And so, you know, tons of self-driving cars can drive around everywhere. But everywhere you will have a human, a pedestrian, for example. And you all experience that when you're crossing uh, a pedestrian crossing. You're interacting with the driver of the car in some way. And that communication is, is fundamental for understanding what we can do. And that this is just a first step to, to show how this gives you 
reaches the domain of ethics, of, 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 of mutual understanding, of mutual expectations. And of course, it also requires designers to build in assumptions of what other humans would expect an AI system to do. So it does the right thing and not the wrong thing. So just to clarify that, so what you envisage is a world in which the human and the AI almost interoperate continually such that the, the human influences the behavior of the AI and, and the AI learns from the human to get continually smarter. Correct. Just like, you know, people in school go to school to, to learn from each other and, and become part of society. And AI is really about agency. It's about systems that act in, inter, in, act in their own, let's quote, quote, responsibility and interact with other agents, be that humans or be that machines. And that's different from all other technology that is just performing a function uh, without any internal agency. And that's really helpful. And I think that that also starts to paint a picture of where the future is going. And, and I guess, you know, one of the reasons we're here is that obviously for us at Shell, we're excited about the potential of AI. Um, we've invested heavily in it. We've developed a program which we call the Shell.ai program, which is about trying to roll out artificial intelligence technology right across Shell's business and providing the, the change drive that's needed to embed it pretty much everywhere. Um, I think also we can see huge applications. Langley's touched on some uh, solutions like predictive maintenance, where we can see uh, the potential of AI to make our existing assets more effective and efficient. But we also see AI starting to play into energy transition, where solutions like optimizing the charging of electric vehicles are becoming really important to help us manage the grid. And, and maybe, Tim, from your perspective, I know Microsoft has also been trying to pull together uh, you know, some of the leaders in the energy industry to try and shape this. Uh, what's the Microsoft perspective on, on the impact that AI can have in energy? Well, every energy sector customer I've ever talked to about uh, their priorities as a business, they, they always lead with safety. Um, it's a dangerous industry. Frontline work in particular is a pretty dangerous place. So we, we talked earlier about killer robots. Robots are actually going to save lives in this, this sector for a lot of the reasons that uh, Langley talked about. Um, the ability to use computer vision to detect um, impending equipment failures, for example. So robots uh, are pretty instrumental uh, in this, either um, in the form of aerial drones or robots that can get into dangerous places that humans uh, just frankly shouldn't be, either because it's um, hazardous materials or just a, just a dangerous place to be physically. So these kinds of robots have been used uh, in military and law enforcement for bomb diffusion for a long time. And it's a, an extension of that, that use case into industrial applications to really get in front of um, industrial safety risks that uh, make the workplace safer and uh, make, make the business more successful. Absolutely. And I think obviously, as, as you know, I mean, we've been working together on developing these sorts of technologies for some time. Do you see big concerns around uh, companies adopting this, though, at scale around, you know, lots of robots and drones and, and people kind of coordinating that for, for heavy industrial cases? Well, sure. But I mean, you know, the, the, the whole question about robots is, is, is it going to make jobs go away? Robots, Rob, you know, Jobs are not taken away by robots. Jobs are taken away by people, otherwise known as management. So uh, let's not demonize the, the technology. And uh, in this particular case, there's going to be a lot of jobs created uh, to manage these scenarios, train these robots, program these robots, maintain these, these robots. There's a lot of issues that go around that 
relating to transparency, which we talked about earlier, some of these more sophisticated machine learning models are not intelligible. This is kind of the dirty little secret about deep learning. The more accurate these models are, the less explainable they are. So decisions made by these systems uh, aren't necessarily as understandable as they were in the old days when we were just using linear regression to build uh, machine learning models. Security is another uh, thing that we um, think is going to have a, a, uh, a new area of emphasis, shall we say, in, as we migrate from software applications to models. And so you can in, infect a data set with malicious training data that's pretty undetectable uh, to whoever's managing and prepping that data set, but it can make the system do strange and, uh, and unusual things. So building resilience into these, these, into these systems is uh, super important. Uh, being able to identify users who deviate from usage patterns uh, that are similar to other users with similar attributes. So somebody who types too fast, uh, somebody who responds too fast, somebody who's interacting with the system 24 hours a day, seven days a week and doesn't sleep. That's, that's a red flag. Someone who triggers parts of the system that other, other users don't. Um, users who interact with a system with the same kind of unexplainable yet deliberately crafted uh, sort of uh, keystrokes. That's kind of in indicative of a botnet attack. So there's all sorts of security engineering that has to happen in the AI era to deal with attack vectors that are unique to models as opposed to the old days where we're just worried about SQL injection attacks and pass the hash and phishing attacks and things like that. That's really interesting. So, so maybe you know, what we're hearing here is that you've got a, a, a massive transformation. These algorithms now really hitting mainstream. We heard about the fact that these things are real. They're embedded into everyday applications. We need to think through the application of how do we train these algorithms? How do we make them ethical? But actually we can see that within uh, the industrial world and within the energy sector, already drones and robots are using uh, computer vision and machine vision technology to identify issues, uh, to manage inspection, to predict what's going to fail, uh, and then even to start to create a, a full digital twin of the asset within which we can manage it through optimization and simulation in very different ways. And this obviously has huge implications for traditional uh, oil and gas activities, but also uh, very importantly for some of these new energy assets that are emerging. Uh, and I guess, Aldo, you know, bringing all this together, looking forward, and I know this is something that you've been thinking about a lot, what does all of this mean for energy? What does the future look like? I think energy will look very different from how it's now in terms of, you know, you pull up to a petrol station or you turn on the lights uh, in your house. Um, so I think it will be a lot more integrated. Don't forget, um, ultimately, if you're thinking about computer power, um, for solving AI problems, computer power is an energy problem ultimately. So, you know, going into the future, you can imagine that there are um, AI technologies um, where nations or individuals will compete, for example, for monetary gain, for economic gain, for, for, for productivity gains, where the limiting factor will be the amount of compute you can do to, with the same amount of data that you may have access to, gain that much more headway. And Ultimately, we will be limited by energy, but how much compute and thus how much more intelligence we can deploy. And so I think energy will remain at the forefront. It's a fundamental physical uh, quantity. And, and there's a deep physical link between energy and information processing. Um, and, and what we're going to see is that that link will play out in terms of how much we can exploit AI. That's really interesting. So, so a world in which 
uh, energy is the limiting factor on AI and, and AI is the limiting factor on energy. Uh, what a fascinating world. And, and I, I think with that, I, I just want to say a huge thank you to my guests. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules. And I hope that you'll all tune in next time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Energy Podcast brought to you by Shell. You can find The Energy Podcast on Spotify, Apple and Google. Just hit subscribe and listen to the other episodes on all things energy related. The Energy Podcast was produced by Fresh Air Production. And I must remind you that the views you've heard today are those of the people featured and not Shell or its affiliates. I'm Bryony McKenzie. Thank you for listening and goodbye.